0: And those of us remaining, I'd like you to take out your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter seven. Second <clears throat> Chronicles, chapter seven. Uh, and the Lord willing, I may actually be in this chapter for a couple of weeks. We'll just see how that goes and see what the Lord wants to do uh, in and through this. But. Um, I will mention this, I I know I don't, uh, for those of you who do get on the internet uh, every now and then, if you were to just go, I posted something the other night that just was, I believe Friday night, just was weighing on my heart uh, a little bit. You can read a little bit there at brentlawrence.org and um, just some thoughts about some things that we see happening and I see happening in our, our culture, our society. Um, excuse me. Uh, among the youth, and my heart is burdened. My heart is really weighed down with it. And uh, for me, sometimes when my heart's weighed down, the best thing for me is just to, well, as they used to say back in the day before all the you know computers, and you put pen to paper, and you feel a little better. Well, I put my fingers to the keyboard, and uh, I didn't feel better after it necessarily. It wasn't so that I could feel better. Uh, but it was just to unburden my heart a little bit of what I, I see happening uh, in the world and uh, what some of the things that we've, we have seen happen just in the news over the last week, uh, especially among the young people. Um, you know, I, I know that in our church here we have, in many respects, we have, I'll just say it, I feel we have failed when it comes to the young people. Uh, over the years and for the young people who are here who have grown up without any kind of contact from any grown up that is around you in this church other than to just briefly say hello I feel as though we could do better we need to do better we need to do our very best I know that God has his hand upon your lives You need somebody to tell you that every now and then. Whatever stage you're at in life, wherever you are, however old you are, whether you're in middle school, whether you're in high school, whether you're in college, you're young, uh, and there's a lot of life to live. And I want you to live it to the full. Jesus said, I've come, that they might have life and they might have it to the full and they might have it abundantly. I'll just confess that, I'll say that, I'll probably delete that off the podcast, but I, I just, I really believe with all my heart that God has to help us as a church to grow so that we have the workers that can, can have the burden and the desire and the, the you know, the, just to go beyond the little world that we live in and say, I've got to affect change in some young people you know what folks I'm here today as a pastor as as a Christian as a believer not because my dad was a pastor it certainly had some effect upon my life his life as a man of God my my mother's life as a woman of God they prayed for me but you know what the people who had an impact on me it was my youth leader who met his untimely death at the age of 33 years old who stood week after week, and talked to the young people of our church. He didn't get paid to do it. Nobody was handing him a check. Nobody was patting him on the back every week saying, what a great job you're doing. But it was that man who said, I believe enough in the young people of this church that I'm going to reach out to them and I'm going to see some of them come into the kingdom because I believe that God has better things in store for them. I'm here in part because of Dwayne Hersey. I'm here in part because my older brother, my oldest brother, who spent time as a youth pastor, as an associate pastor, taking the time to reach out to young people. Folks, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much, but it will take your time. I believe with all my heart that we need God to do something mighty in us so that He can do something mighty through us. We're at Second Chronicles chapter 7. And essentially, I think that some of those comments that I've made and some of the things that I, I posted on the blog that I don't post to very often, but just recently did, that all of this kind of works hand in hand with this passage of Scripture. I'm not going to take the time to go through what it was that I posted the other night, but some of the things are very practical. There's very little Scripture in it. Uh, There is a little bit, it kind of anchors us a little bit to the scripture, but uh, today I just, I want to share from my heart, from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, uh, we're going to start reading at verse 1, and we're going to go down through to, uh, we'll probably go down through to about verse 7, and potentially uh, in the coming days we'll deal with a little bit more of this chapter But this is, this particular passage of Scripture is right after Solomon had finished praying his prayer of dedication over the temple. You have to read a little bit in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. It was where David was an old king. He was an old man. He was handing the the reins off to his son Solomon to be king over Israel And it was always in David's heart to prepare and to build a temple for the Lord. David was the one who made the plans for the temple. Of course, Solomon, according to what we understand from Scripture, went way above and beyond what David had planned. Solomon had wealth and riches that even his father David did not have. And so he invested that into the house of God. He put that into the house of God so that it was... It was, it was one of the most beautiful, beautiful buildings in all the world at that time. Just the, the ornate nature of, of some of the things that were made and the, the craftsmen and how they made it and the gold and the silver that was, was not just placed into the articles of the temple but literally built into the temple itself. It, was, it had to have been a sight for everyone walking by to be able to see but more than how the building looked, more than what went into that building. The most essential thing, brothers and sisters, that that building had to possess, it was not the gold, it was not the silver, it was not the crafted cedar with which it was, it was constructed. It was not all of the marble and all of the things that would have been a part of it. It wasn't all of that. It was what we see now in chapter 7, and we're going to read it in just a moment, that in that building, in that temple, there was the presence of Almighty God. That when Solomon finished his prayer, you'd have to read it in chapter 6, even going back into chapter 5, as they had assembled together, but really all of chapter 6 is his prayer of dedication over the temple. And it was something that that he stood along with the congregation and he prayed this incredible mighty prayer of dedication over the temple of God. And then we pick up in chapter 7. And this is where I want to read, starting chapter 7 and verse 1. The Bible says this, When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And notice this. The Bible says, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Verse 2 says, the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple. They knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good, His love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. The king and King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. The priests took their positions, as did the Levites, with the, the Lord's musical instruments which King David had made for praising the Lord, and which were used when they gave thanks, saying, His love endures forever. Opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpets, and all the Israelites were standing. Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord, and there he offered burnt offerings The fat of the fellowship offerings, because the bronze altar he had made could not hold the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat portions. I'm going to just stop reading right there, and we're just going to back up a little bit and take this essentially verse by verse as we go through it. But Solomon had finished praying that great prayer of dedication and the visible sign to the people that God had accepted that prayer was one thing and one thing only. It was that the fire of God came from heaven and consumed the sacrifices. We see it time and time again in Scripture and other places as well. We see it with Elijah as he was up on Mount Carmel and that great standoff with the prophets of Baal as he stood there and waited for them to call down fire from heaven to burn up their offerings and their sacrifices. And it didn't happen. All day long they went on and on. And then finally Elijah stands up. And after they had just completely doused the the sacrifice with water, something that, as you know, is not an igniter of fire. It is a putter out of fire. I don't know how else to say that. It puts fires out. And yet he prays, and the Bible says that fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. It consumed the stones. It was that intense. And it licked up all the water in the trenches that were there. The fire of God came down, brothers and sisters, when prayer began to ascend to heaven. And when that prayer finished, God answered by fire. We say, well, that's Old Testament, pastor. You know, we're in the New Testament age. That's all right. You remember in Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us that the, the, the people, the disciples and others had gathered in the upper room and they were there, they were praying and they were calling upon God. They didn't know what to expect. They just knew that they were there in obedience to what Jesus had commanded. That Jesus said to tarry and wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And they went into that place and they began to pray. And the Bible says that after they had prayed, the place where they were was shaken. And there appeared over each and every one of them little tongues as of fire that was over them. The glory of God, the fire of God came down in a different way in the New Testament age. But there is something that is always associated with it and it is prayer. I want to tell you for this church, brothers and sisters, more than ever before, we need the fire of God to come down. I, I know that recently there was just a, 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 a... I don't even want to give it sermon time, but I, I have to. There was this conference recently by you know, a man who was a pastor, as an author, as somebody... I'm not going to say his name. I, it's, it's not about name calling, about, not about naming individuals, but a conference uh, about what they call cessation theology. In other words, cessation is that the gifts of the Spirit all died way back. After the the apostles died, then the gifts of the Spirit died. We don't need any of that. It's all done. It's not important, not necessary. We don't need any of it. And yet there is no shred of evidence in Scripture that it did die. There is nothing in Scripture that hints. You say, well, you know, where there are tongues, they will cease that's not what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 13. It's so far out of context of what he was saying. And it goes on with other things. How those other things to cease as well. That's you it's ridiculous to think that what we need most in this country, in this nation is the fire of God to fall upon our churches it's not for us to sit around on our little stools talking about each other about how we don't need any of that and it's not important brothers and sisters you can sit in a dead dry church if you want to, but as for me and my house, we've got to call upon the name of the Lord and say God you come with the power of the Holy Spirit you change our society sitting around in our conferences It's not going to change the youth of this nation. It's not going to change the the desperate nature and the hopelessness that so many people are walking around with. It is going to be the power of Almighty God. We see that what took place, I want you to see this verse 1, the Bible says this, that after fire came down from heaven, the Bible says it consumed the burnt offerings. And the sacrifices, everything that the people had brought, God took care of it all. He he accepted their sacrifice. He accepted their prayer. And then the Bible says this, the glory of the Lord. I want you to see this. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. The power of God was so great that the Bible says, that the glory of the Lord filled that place. Now, I want you to know that we live in the New Testament age. This building is not the temple of the Lord. I realize many of you look at it and say, it's the church, we got to respect it. We absolutely should. We should take care of it, should take care of it, do our very best to honor it, not to disrespect it. But the bottom line is, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul points that out in his epistles. He says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as such, we need to pray for the glory of God to be unleashed in our lives, for God's grace and his power to come in such a mighty way to minister to our hearts and our minds. Brothers and sisters, we need the glory of God now more than ever before. If there was ever a day that we live in that we need the glory of God to fill us, it is what's going to keep us when the world is, is, is turning upon its end and it doesn't know which way is up. In this nation, in our nation alone, this society, Julian mentioned it this morning and, and Christy leads prayer for the persecuted. It is happening all over the world. It's still happening in other nations. It's still happening in China. It's still happening around the world in Islamic nations. Still, they're praying for this pastor, Pastor Saeed in, in, uh, in, in Iran to be released. We're, we're still believing God. We need to pray. But in this nation, brothers and sisters, do you know that it's eventually going to be hate speech to even disagree with somebody else and their lifestyle and how they're living? It's going to be a hate crime soon enough in this nation. If this nation goes the way that it's been trending and going, I want you to know that eventually pastors will find themselves in prison in this nation. And you better be careful what you say on your job or to somebody, to your neighbor. You don't know what's going to happen. That's how our country is becoming. It is fast becoming that way. You say, I don't believe it, not for a minute. I was visiting a, uh, a pastor friend of mine uh, a few years ago in Rhode Island. And he told me at that point, this was 2000, oh my goodness, 2000 and maybe three somewhere around there, 2004, something. I I can't remember what year it was. 2003, I think. I was visiting with him in Rhode Island. He said, do you know in Canada, somebody just spoke out against uh, homosexuality. Not homosexuals. There's a difference, folks. But spoke out against homosexuality from the pulpit and found himself in prison in Canada. Our liberated neighbors to the north our democratic society, our closest ally in so many ways, throwing pastors in prison for speaking out against something that is found in Scripture that should be avoided and should be... Uh, we, you're not against the individual. You must separate the individual from the ideal. But the problem is, is now what's happening is, is it's no longer tolerance that's being, being taught It is what they call acceptance. So now they're done with the word tolerance. Tolerance is old news. Now it's acceptance. You have to accept. Not just me. You have to accept everything that I say that I am. And who cares what God says? Who cares what the Bible says? That's old. That's, that's antiquated. That's from, you know, from so many years ago. We, can, we can't live like that. Nobody can live like that. We want to do what we want to do and nobody's going to tell us what to do. That's the society that we live in. Do you see, brothers and sisters, we can't just sit around and say, well, we're going to have our own little conferences and talk to ourselves and we're just going to pat each other on the back that we all agree with one another. We've got a world that is going to hell and a Handbasket, and we need the fire of God and the glory of the Lord to come down in our lives and fill these temples if you 're not used to this kind of preaching i apologize well i don't apologize i don 't know maybe you'll you'll get used to it, but it, it just I, I can't i can 't begin to tell you there was a period in the history of israel it was it was shortly Right in First in Samuel, it, it records it and talks about it. Remember when Eli was the priest, the high priest in the land, and his sons were so evil. His sons were priests, and they were so evil. And they did whatever they wanted to do, and Eli said nothing about it. He didn't correct them. He didn't discipline them. He just let them do it. Well, oh, they're my sons. Do whatever you want. And eventually, God had to deal with his sons, and eventually deal with Eli himself and there was a time where the Bible lets us know that there was a prophecy that came that that the word there was a word that would be used that would would show that the glory of God had departed it was the word Ichabod and we that was it that was placed over that that time period and that 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 the the worship of god was abandoned it was being mixed with idols it was just people who were so so far gone and that there was just this this sense in which which there was no more worship of god there was no more going after of god no more crying out for more of god and that word Ichabod means the glory has departed. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that in that time, it was a horrible time in history. May it never be said about our church. May it never be said about the church in this country or around the world that the glory has departed. No, no. I want it to be like it was in that moment when Solomon had finished praying that the glory of the Lord came down and filled the temple. I can't even begin to imagine what it was like to live in that time as it was one of Eli's daughters-in-law gave birth to this baby after the, the, they had found that the father had been killed, had been judged by the hand of God. She names her son Ichabod. The glory has departed. Can you imagine the hopelessness that's part of the problem of our day and age is because young people are looking for something that's real and tangible and they haven't been handed anything tangible by their educators. They haven't been handed anything of, of value and purpose by those in higher education, the professors in the school. They, they're, they're just they're teaching them their own opinions and their own thoughts and, and whatever any, any kind of sense of reality is and especially if it has to do with religion and God, They're pushing it to one side. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, over this nation, the glory has departed. But let there be a a, a remnant. Let there be a few who will say that I'm going to stand and let the fire of God fall in me so that at least one person that I can affect this week and I can touch this week will be changed by the power of God. We've got to still believe that God will change people's lives. That He can deliver drug addicts from their addiction. That He can deliver deliver alcoholics from their addiction we've got to believe that the salvation that comes from heaven and from God can still change that CEO who is so desperate for reality he's not finding it in his big penthouse suite he doesn't find it at home but he can find it in God we've got to pray Let the glory of God fill this temple. Let the glory of God come and fill my life. One man said, let revival start, Lord. And then he drew an imaginary circle around himself. And he said, and let it start right inside the circle. You can point your finger at others, but when it all comes down to it, it's us. We've got to pray, God, let it start in me. Let it start in me. The church is infected with that syndrome it is the pointing of the finger syndrome it's always somebody else's fault why we're not growing it's always somebody else's fault why we are the way we are we have become like our society nobody takes responsibility anymore the question is how much are you praying how much are you calling upon God how many excuses do you make to miss services How many excuses do you make to miss the house of God? How many excuses do you make not to read your Bible? How many excuses do you make not to pray? And then we say, well, let the glory of God fall in our congregation and in our church. You know what, brothers and sisters, it's going to take just a little more than our showing up for it to happen. We've got to say, God, let that hunger arise in my soul. Let there be something in me in which I would cry out to you day after day. And quit praying for the people that you think are making it right. Because you're not. You're just gossiping to God. Pray that God will fill you. Pray that the Holy Spirit will come in a fresh and a new and a mighty way in your life that He would use you. The glory, the Bible says, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And here's what happened. Notice this. The priests could not enter The temple of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord filled it. When the glory of the Lord fills the temple, there's no need for a human element to get involved. When the glory of God comes, no part of sinful humanity can can enter in. When the glory of God comes in your life, there are things that all of a sudden when you, you begin to view it on television... It doesn't, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't sit right. You shut it off. When the glory of God comes in your life, maybe you've been reading all these kinds of you know self-help books. You know what? The, the only self-help book you need is right here, and it's not a self-help book. It is a God-help-me book. It is a God-I'm-depending-on-you book. It is a God-there's-nothing-good-in-me. I. There's nothing good in me. Let me find it in you, that kind of book. Maybe you've been reading some of that stuff, and all of a sudden you read something, you're like, it doesn't just it doesn't sit right. It doesn't, it doesn't feel right. Let me let me close the book. Let me shut that off. You see, when the glory of God comes, the Bible says that the priests who were as human as you and I, none of the priests were perfect. In fact, the writer of Hebrews talks about the fact. That, that Leviticus stated that even the priests had to offer sacrifices for themselves. They didn't, they didn't just walk into the Holy of Holies. You know, the high priest once a year didn't just march in there. The Bible says that first, that priest had to, had to go by way of blood. A sacrifice had to be offered for that high priest... And then he had to be sprinkled with the blood from that sacrifice before he entered and dared entered where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the presence of God dwelt, where the mercy seat was. He couldn't go in there. He was not allowed to go in just nonchalantly. And without the sprinkling of blood, brothers and sisters, when there is that, that need for, for, for things of the world to fill this emptiness in our hearts, we missed it. The glory of God is not there. We need to pray, God, let the glory of God come into my life so that I might be satisfied with you. Not only that, when the glory of the Lord fills the temple, all other religious exercises are pushed aside. See, there was no need for the Levites to enter the temple to do anything that the book of Leviticus had mandated because God was already there. The glory of God was already there. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing in our services if we sensed and felt the glory of God in such a mighty way that it didn't matter what was going on behind the pulpit, that what we we needed and what we were reaching out for was just more of Him. Listen, I'm not in here. I'm I'm not here to go through some kind of program. I know that we have an order of service and we pretty much follow that and that's predictable. you know. But you know what the bottom line is? I prefer the unpredictable. I prefer those moments in our services where we begin to just free flow it in praise, and we begin to spontaneously magnify the Lord, and God comes down as we reach out to Him and does something mighty, and He does something wonderful in us that nobody could have ever dreamed up or, or or drummed up or done anything like that. It is the power of God working in and through us as we reach out to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there's no need for religious exercises when the glory of God fills the temple because the power of God is already there in a mighty way. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. Verse 3 says this, when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever. You see, the glory of God should prompt three important attitudes. We see it in these, this and verse 4 both in verse 3 and verse 4. The first attitude is that of humility. Humility. The Bible says here that they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. There wasn't anybody there who stood taller than somebody else. There wasn't anybody in that moment who felt as though they were better than another. They were in the presence of Almighty God and they had just witnessed something so incredibly powerful that for them the most important thing was in that moment was to get low and stay low. And that has to be the attitude of our hearts, to get low and stay low. Don't try to promote yourself. Don't try to push yourself to the forefront. Stop trying to be seen. Stop trying to be the one who is, you know always, always there, always doing something because that's going to get you positioned. You know what, brothers and sisters, in the end, the best position for the believer is the position of getting low. It is the position of humility. It is not a position of promotion and self-promotion. I know if you're trying to find a job and get a job and you go on an interview, you got to self-promote like crazy. you got to make that employer believe you are the best person that they possibly could hire. But when it comes to God, God pulls back all the curtains. He sees everything as they are. You can't put it over on God. You can't make God think you're better than you are. He already sees what you are. So the best position for you is to get low and to stay low. Humility. There is no other way to approach God. I know that in the New Testament, the Bible says that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. Do not mistake boldness for arrogance, because it's not the same. Arrogance and humility are the absolute opposites. The Bible doesn't say we approach the throne of grace with arrogance. That's not what it says. It just says we can have boldness. That is confidence that we are covered by the blood but it doesn't this attitude of humility goes from Old Testament into the New Testament. There are certain things that God takes from one era and one age to another age that do not change. That attitude of humility has to we have to approach him and say God, I am going to bow before you when we worship God, it's not the physical posture, it is the posture of the heart. When we come before him and when we reach out to him in prayer, it has to be Lord, let me come in humility. Let me serve you in humility. Let me serve you, Lord, because there is no one greater than you. You are mighty and you are powerful and you deserve my humble heart. There is something else. There is another attitude that we see in this and it is worship. Worship. The Bible says that they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord. They got low. They bowed with their faces to the ground. And the next thing that they did was they worshipped the Lord and they gave thanks to the Lord. And the Bible tells us what they said. He is good. His love endures forever. I don't know if they repeated it. You know, some people, they knock the, you know, oh, you're just repeating things over and over and over again. You know what? It seems as though this was something that the people repeated as they worshipped God. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, He is good, His love endures forever. We see that in some of the Psalms over and over and over again. I don't get worried about people repeating something over and over again if it's coming from a heart of worship. You don't see the heart. You're only worried about what's coming out of the mouth. God is concerned about what's in the heart. The kind of worship that's coming from us. And the Bible says they had the attitude of worship. They bowed low to the ground and they worshiped the Lord. And the Bible says part of their worship was they gave thanks to the Lord. Say, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. It's so hard lately to give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. Just give thanks in all circumstances. The Bible tells us give thanks in everything. It doesn't necessarily mean you're giving thanks for how bad things are. You're just giving thanks to the Lord for what He's done. You're giving thanks to the Lord. You're confessing that God is greater than the circumstances. So begin to thank Him and worship Him. But when we come into the presence of the Lord, we have to have that attitude that says that I'm going to worship Him and give thanks to the Lord. He's done great and mighty things. Let me worship Him from a sincere and a pure heart. The fruit of our lips giving thanks. Say, Pastor, your worship is loud. Your preaching is loud. Can't you just tone it down a little bit? I really don't know how to do anything different. i got to tell you that when it all comes down to it, God is worthy of our shouts. God is worthy of our worship. You say, but He's not deaf. He's not deaf, but He's not nervous either. So don't worry about how God is responding. Just worry about how your heart is responding to His presence. The Bible also lets us know in verse 4, it says, Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. The third attitude, important attitude, that the glory of the Lord prompted was this. Obedience. To sacrifice obedience, to sacrifice. The Bible says all the king, the king and all the people, offered sacrifices before the Lord. And you see how many sacrifices that they offered. Look at verse five. The Bible says King Solomon offered a sacrifice of twenty-two thousand, not twenty-two not 2,200, 22,000 head of cattle, and 120,000 sheep and goats. This was a day of sacrificing. This was a day of bringing to the Lord those things that you had and you were going to give to the Lord. I know a lot of us, we like to hang on to what it is that we have. You know, David said these words on one occasion, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. You see, a sacrifice is not just your reasonable service, it goes beyond reasonable service. A sacrifice is something that hurts. This is why in the Old Testament, and I say hurts in a good way, but nonetheless it is something out of what you have that you do miss when you don't have it. You shouldn't bemoan it, begrudge it, or anything like that, but a sacrifice is something that goes beyond the normal. And it is something that the people brought before the Lord. Now I know that Solomon had so much, he had so much wealth already by this time. It was, it seemed as though maybe it was nothing for him to bring that, but it seems like an awful lot. For all of the nation as they brought all of these sheep and these oxen. And according to the law of Moses, they sacrificed it the way that it was, it was stated in that moment. You talk about breaking in the temple. They broke it in that day with their sacrifices. They brought all of these things and they gave in obedience to the word of the Lord. There are times when we excuse our lack of giving. Our lack of of offering sacrifices to the Lord because we think that somehow God only requires a tenth. Say, I knew it was coming around of money sooner or later. You know us here. I don't stand in the pulpit week after week talking about money, raising money, though I could or should. Just because the bottom line is the only way that we can move forward as a church is with it. We have vendors we have to pay. There are bills that have to be paid. And when you're not here and you don't give or you don't give sacrificially, the bottom line is some weeks there is a suffering that occurs. It happens and we have to deal with it. But you know what? That's nonetheless the nature of it. But we have to give in obedience give because the Bible requires us to give because the Word of God tells us we should. You say, but you know, I saw something the other day that said tithing is an Old Testament principle. I've talked about this before. I'm not going to get into it again. But in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus both promoted the tithe and he told his disciples that, yes, you should do it. Then Later on, Paul talks about setting aside something at the first day of the week so that when he comes, he won't have to take a collection. In other words, take up your offerings so that when we come, we can focus on other things. A lot of times, brothers and sisters in churches, they focus on, for a good portion of the service, money, because they need it. Here, we just kind of go by, and if I don't hear about it, oh, thank God, there are no problems. You know, we don't, I don't tell half of what it is that we should be probably telling you in terms of the need. Simply because I don't want it to become the focus of our church services. I don't want it to become the focus. But how will it not be the focus? How will it not be something that weighs upon individuals or the pastor? It is going to be when we give in obedience and we sacrifice just a little bit more than maybe what it was that we had given before. The Bible says they gave in obedience. And they obeyed as they sacrificed. They were told they should. It was the temple of the Lord. They had a sacrificial system. And that, that system, they sacrificed these offerings to the Lord. And you know, do you know that when it came to what it was that was to be offered to the Lord, it wasn't supposed to be the worst of the bunch. It was supposed to be, remember... In the Old Testament it says, whatever the lambs were that were to be brought, they were to be spotless, they were to be without blemish. Any sacrifice that was brought to the Lord was not to be something that wouldn't necessarily be missed or undervalued. It was to be something of worth and something of value that we give to the Lord. And sometimes... We bring just a little piddly stuff. This is why I think it's, you know, people can bring leftover items. And, you know, sometimes we bring clothes that we don't wear anymore. and, And we try to give in different places, in different directions to help people out. If you're bringing in a coat that has so many holes that it would not keep you warm, don't think for a minute that that coat is going to keep anybody else warm. But listen, let's face it. We all put on a few extra pounds here and there. And if you grow out of it and you can't wear it anymore, don't stick it in the closet and say, well, I'm going to get back there. I know I am. Yes, sir. Give it away. Give it to somebody. It's something that can help. It can be a blessing. Don't give things that, that you otherwise would just throw in the garbage. Give good things. Give nice things. And brothers and sisters, we've got to give in a way that is pleasing to God. They obeyed and they sacrificed. And the fire came down from heaven and consumed those sacrifices. Brothers and sisters, what we need most in our church, in our nation, in our schools, in our workplaces is a revival of the glory of God in our lives. I, I'm not worried about you know, some conference that somebody's had. I, I'm not, it, doesn't, it doesn't worry me all that much. You know, we who believe in a little more, you know, that the, the gifts of the Spirit haven't died with the apostles, and we believe that they are for today, You know, we tend to have our own conferences where we all talk to one another about how great it is to have the gifts of the Spirit and, you know, have the, you know, all of these things. So we we tend to do the same thing on the other end. We talk to one another. We talk to each other. You know what? It's time that we start engaging the world. And the only way that we can do that is to make sure that we have the power of God in our lives. The only way that we can have an effect on our generation and our culture, a culture that is so horribly cynical. And I mentioned this in my blog post. Kids, young people are so terribly cynical about what it is that they see. Respect for authority, respect for elders. It's gone by the wayside. It, people don't, you know, the younger, the younger generation does not respect those who simply, they have gray hair and they've been around the block. And what, what's going to happen? When, when this society grows up, well, it's an amazing thing. The generation that rebelled back in the 60s became the leaders in the 80s and 90s. And all of a sudden they realized how wayward they had been and how ridiculous their viewpoints have been. I don't know if that's what it's going to take. But I know this, that what we need is we need the power of God in our lives in this generation. We need people to come to a place of repentance and turning to God with all their heart, their soul, and their mind. And brothers and sisters, I believe it will happen when the church of Jesus Christ begins to stand in power and we can know that we have an answer for this generation, that we have something that we can give that goes beyond, well, just go to church. Going to church doesn't change anybody. It doesn't change us. I grew up in church. I don't think I was born in a church, but you know, I was there not long after I was born. From the time I was a baby all the way through, I was a PK, a pastor's kid. I've been in church all my life. Good grief. Going to church didn't do anything for me. It is when I began to reach out to God for myself and say, Lord, I need you. I'm lost without you. I grew up in a pastor's home, a loving home, a home where I had love from both parents. They were there when I came over from school. My mother was there. I didn't let myself in. My mother was there to greet me. She was available and ready to to help me as a kid or whatever it might have been. I grew up in a loving home. It It was to me the way it should be. But the bottom line is, even that, I still didn't serve the Lord. It wasn't until I recognized the emptiness of my soul and I knew from godly parents that it was found in Jesus. And I want to tell the young people that are here today, it is found in no other than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. say, but what about all the other religions? Don't call Jesus a liar by saying all the other religions, they can get you to heaven too. If you're saying that, you're calling Jesus, the founder of this faith, an absolute liar. Don't put yourself in that position because one day you will have to stand before Him. And you will. And you will give an account Of what it is that you knew about Him. But I want you to know today that there is no other that can satisfy your soul. You may be involved in this or that. Adults, grown-ups. We get tied into our work. We get tied into our interests and other things. And church is sort of a side note. (sighs) Folks, we've got to reach out for more of God. We need the fire of God to fall from heaven and change this heart. To change our hearts and say, God, we're going to pursue You with everything that is within us. The psalmist wrote and said, he said these words, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for You. Oh God, you know that a deer does not stop until it finds water? It is an animal. It operates on instinct. It doesn't think. It doesn't think about you know where is the best place. It just operates on instinct and it goes until it can find a watering hole, a place where it can be satisfied and refreshed. Listen, you may feel as though life has not been satisfying you lately, can I encourage you to get into the presence of God and say, God, I'm going to go after you with all my heart, my soul, and my mind until I am refreshed in your presence. Can we stand to our feet today?